Sometimes things uh, happen in life in such a way that it just causes us to overflow with praise or celebration. To use the word praise seems reserved for church sometimes with our church lingo, but you, you might equate it to going to a stadium and watching your favorite team play their sport, and when something uh, great happens, the entire crowd just jumps to their feet, rises to their feet, and claps and hoots and hollers and gives praise to the team, right? They, they say by their, their standing on their feet, they say by their clapping, they say by their, their yelling and their screaming and their smiles and their high fives, that was an awesome play. What's underneath that is we love our team. Our team brings us together. They praise for the glory, the recognition of their team. And similarly, God's people come together in a context like this or in seasons of life, and things are bleak and and confusing and challenging, and, and we praise God. Not, not because a, a touchdown was scored in that moment, not because a, a good play happened in that moment, not because one of us here in the church family did something wonderful and we want that person to get the credit. No, but because something much more wonderful has happened and we're celebrating that. We're celebrating that, but not only in times when things are going well, when things are uh, easy, we might say. We all know life is not easy, so we're not just looking for the easy way out. But yet, when life seems particularly dark, maybe it's in the time where there's a, a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's in a season where your career is seeming to be a dismal failure. Circumstances happen that are beyond your control, and you've lost your job. You're a follower of Jesus, maybe, and and in your following of Christ, we don't always do things well. In fact, it's the reason we worship Jesus, because he is our Savior, but as one who is striving to follow Christ, you sin. You may sin grievously. I'll never forget the first sermon I preached. It wasn't that good. (laughs) I was in college and I served, I was a part of a church that was. Uh, that that was very particularly striving to build up college students. And it wasn't a big, huge college town or anything. There was a college in town, but it wasn't a big area. It was a church of about uh, 60, 75, uh, with about 85 college students. So they did not know what to do with us. And our pastor was a faithful preacher of God's word. It was in the same town, and we all located there. And we stayed because... 
uh, well, the Lord had brought us to that church. It was very clear, but they engaged with us and built relationship with us, and they, they trained us in the ministry of the word. And we built friendships and community, as you heard some sharing their testimony this morning. They're actively engaged in the body of Christ because they're a part of a smaller community than what meets here on Sunday morning. That encourages them and challenges them and these things the Lord calls us to do. Well, that, well, that was me in college. And, uh, and so a time had come after I had been there for uh, a couple of years and a couple of us were going to preach in succession. And, and so I went to preach and um, did the best I could with what I knew then and um, received a, you know, a couple of encouraging words here and there and met with my college leader and pastor and they told me the truth about how I could grow in it and things like that. But I'll tell you, after I preached that message, man, I mean, my adrenaline was pumping, and I was, you might just call it, I was just like, you know, on a, on a high, so to speak, in the clouds, because I loved this ministry of proclaiming God's word. And it was in the season where the Lord was calling into ministry, calling me into ministry, and I wasn't surrender to the ministry yet, but I thought that the Lord might be leading me that way. And I was like, yes, I could do this for the rest of my life. And that turned into, I have to do this for the rest of my life. But not long after I preached that message, I succumbed to, I willfully chose some temptation in my life. And I fell I was a believer in Jesus Christ. I was not trusting in my own good works. I was trusting in the Lord alone for my salvation. And I was surrendered to, if you will, following the Lord and living my life for him and studying the word with a group of men that I still have relationship with today, though we live in different locations. And I mean, I was excited about the Lord. And I fell made some selfish decisions. I chose temporary pleasure over long-lasting pleasure. And I felt like a worm crawling in the dirt, so unworthy to recognize that I could proverbially, if you will, walk into the throne room of our king of my God and Savior. And the Lord broke me. I thought, oh, I can't serve the Lord. I can't do any of these things. I was so discouraged and really disgusted with myself. And through some friends that encouraged me, they didn't say, oh, it's no big deal. They didn't say, oh, don't worry about it. In fact, they told me that what I was feeling was all true. I sinned. I spit in the face of my Savior. And I was thinking the right thing. I'm not worthy. All of these things were true, but when said with a, a, a sweet spirit, a kindness of a brother in Christ who says, we're not worthy 
with his arm around you? And often when we sin in this life, it comes with the consequences that come from that. It also comes with the discipline of the Lord in our lives. Discipline means to be trained in righteousness. If, if, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you probably have, uh, dis- hopefully, have disciplined your children at some point. When we train people with discipline, our desire is that they would grow to be better, to, to, to grow up a little bit, to put into practice the things that they know that they ought to put into practice. And so out of love, we discipline them. With, we, we bring a consequence that brings a, a modicum of appropriate pain Right? We know the words. This hurts me more than it hurts you. We take, a, take away something that, that they really want, and that seems like that's the worst thing in the world for them to lose that. In the Old Testament, we read stories about God's people, Israel. And there were seasons when the nation of Israel walked with God. They followed the Lord and they obeyed his decrees. But then from generation to generation, at times, well, they followed well after the Lord. At other times, they totally went the other way from the Lord. They looked at the nations around them and they said, oh, we want what they have. They said, our joy, our success, our stature is going to be found in being more like them, in adopting more of their practices. And the Lord disciplined his people out of love for their spiritual long-term well-being as a people. And this is the end of that judgment that we read about in Isaiah 12 this morning that Larry read for us a few minutes ago. And, and oh, I wish I had the time to just delve into uh, to more of it together. But, but uh, the earlier chapters in, uh, in Isaiah tell of a God who is judging his people. Now, we might think, whoa, I thought God was nice. I thought God was kind. I thought, I thought God... Uh, did everything to bring us joy and that our joy and satisfaction and, and fulfillment is in him. Well, all of these things are true. But when we choose to find our joy, our satisfaction, our pleasure in other gods, lowercase g, other idols, as we also heard about on one of our baptism testimonies this morning, when we try to find purpose and meaning in anything other than God, as God's people, God will judge us. He will discipline us. And in fact, the very people that, 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 uh, that the Israelites wanted to be like were the very people that God used to bring judgment on them. In fact, they, they took over. And the Israelite nation at this point were their, their slaves, their functional slaves. And that was part of God's judgment. And so we come to chapter 12 after, after the judgment has subsided 
And God gives another promise of hope. The beautiful thing about about how God works with his people is that even in the midst of judgment and darkness, God offers hope. God reminds them of who he is, what he's promised to do for them, how he's going to do it for them. And he encourages them, like my buddy who came alongside of me and said, you're right, we're not worthy. But we're made worthy. God died for us on the cross. He sent his son to die for us on the cross, not because we're wonderful, but because we're worthy. We're made in his image, and we need a savior. And rather than sending someone along the way to be the savior, he himself became man to be the only one who could be our savior. What we read here in Isaiah 12, when, when, when Isaiah prophesies and he says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although, although you were angry with me, when that night when, when I sinned after a great moment in my relationship with the Lord, in a way that's hard for us to comprehend, God was angry with me for my sin. But in his anger, he didn't push me aside. Because we're on this side of the cross, he he met me through Christ. And rather than pouring out his anger on me, he poured his anger out on Christ. And this, of course, is written before Jesus came on the scene, but God still, he disciplined them. But there's a difference between discipline and wrath. Or, or, or vengeance. When we discipline someone, or when someone disciplines us, it's for our good, and it's for the purpose of training us. It's important to remember that. Vengeance is payback. Vengeance, wrath, is wanting to, to pay someone back, to get them back for what they've done. And there will come a day when that payback will happen for those who who do not submit their lives or surrender to Jesus. But here they read about this, having undergone the discipline of the Lord, having been taken over by uh, other surrounding nations. and, And he says, for though you were angry at me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. If we're angry towards someone, it's often, you know, sort of goes down in the sense that we're angry with them until we're sort of just done being angry. That's not the case here. There's a purpose for God's anger and discipline, and there's a purpose for it subsiding. Not just because he's done with it, but because he turns to comfort. I've disciplined you because I love you, and now I'm comforting you. That, that word comforting, well, I should mention, I didn't even say my first point yet. When we trust God, this is a song of thanksgiving and trust. Trusting God brings salvation, and it writes a song of thanksgiving on our hearts. Personal salvation writes a song of salvation on our hearts. 
And this comfort that we receive from the Lord is like a, a long exhale after a stressful period in time. Have you ever been in a time where maybe it's uh, when you're driving or maybe my wife when she's riding in the car with me and uh, there are certain time periods where you kind of hold your breath. You just sort of, you know, you sort of do that. And then at, at some point, depend different time periods, you know, how long she holds her breath, but at different points there comes this exhale. When we're being disciplined by the Lord, there's a sense in which we feel the stress. We feel the, 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 the uh, sort of the clamps of life clamping down on us. And we feel this tension, this pain, this stress that's uncomfortable to us. We sort of hold our breath. And this comfort is a... I know God's presence. That though he was angry with me, he is comforting me. He goes on and he says, God, behold, look, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. So rather than looking to other or other nations or other people groups or other outlets, other other aspects of life, finances, economy, status, prestige. Rather than looking to these things to dwell securely to live with confidence. We look to the Lord and we rest in him. We trust in God because he's the one who cares for us. He's the one who who provides for us. And and there's a, a, a trust, a strength that leads to singing, sort of in a metaphorical sense. You know, we could say like, oh, my heart's alive. But very literally... Whatever is happening in our life, when we trust in the Lord, we can sing through the night. Everything may seem to be breaking loose in your life. Nothing seems to be confident. Nothing seems to be in a sense where you can understand what's happening or or seems like it has any modicum of control in it. And yet we sing because we're loved by God. Because we've submitted our lives to the Lord, which is essentially a way of saying, God, I'm not in control, even when I like to think I am. I will look to you for salvation. I don't think that my good works, the good things I do, will be enough to work my way into heaven. There was a time I did, but no longer. Because I know that Jesus paid it all, and so, as the old hymn wonderfully says, all to him I owe. This song of thanksgiving and praise uh, sort of echoes a song that Moses sang when they were delivered from Egypt. Exodus 15.2 says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Notice the salvation isn't in being delivered from Israel alone, but it's it's found in, in the higher sense of salvation that God is my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. 
Psalm 27, 1 similarly says, The light is my, I'm sorry, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There's no one that's stronger than God. I will fear him and him alone. Which is to say, I will look to him with worship and love and reverence and honor. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? As we trust the Lord God, we we joyfully draw from the gracious supply of wisdom and instruction and comfort. There's a lot of language in the Old Testament about being near water. Right? And in Psalm 23, which we love so much, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. It says, my cup runneth over. In verse 3 here, he says, with joy, you will draw, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You will draw you will draw water. You will draw that which brings life and refreshment and and spiritual energy in a sense. What we need for life and vitality in God through the ways that God shows us his wisdom, which at that point were the older, the first five books in, in the Bible. Now we get to hold all of these 66 books in the Bible together as God's inspired word. So we look to God's word for his wisdom, and with joy we draw water, wisdom, life, nourishment from his words. And, and, and then he changes the picture a little bit, and he says, and then you will, you will say in that day. In other words, our song of salvation is an evangelistic exhortation to a world to call on God for salvation. In other words, when you love the team that you support, when you, when you love to support that team, you, you, you wear the t-shirt, right? You, you wear the gear. If you're a musician, there's a certain maker of guitars or drums and you you know, you've got the hat and you wear it. You love to, to, to let other people know that this is the, the band. This is, I'm sorry, this is the brand that you love to support. This is the team that you love to support. And essentially, it's our way of saying, this is my God. I told this Sunday story in Sunday school. I had a friend that I was with over the weekend, and, and he was going through a drive-thru, and, and he's a big Star Wars guy. And uh, so the guy at the drive-thru, uh, was just sort of like asking him questions about Star Wars. You like this or this? You like this or this? You like this or this? And kind of on each question, he was sort of like, hmm, I don't know. And they'd give him an answer. And they'd go to the next question and then the next question. And finally, the guy goes like this. He goes, what motivates you? He goes, oh, that's easy, Jesus. I mean, Jesus is where it's at. Jesus, in Jesus, there's life. And the guy was like, I don't know about all that Jesus stuff. He's like, let me just tell you something. You ask me questions about Star Wars, which is cool to talk about and it's fun to talk about, but it is nothing. We talk about Jesus, that's easy. Because I'm a guy that deserves to die death for my own sin. But Jesus came and he lived on this earth, which we're celebrating this month. He was born on this earth and he lived a perfect life. In other words, he lived my perfect life. And then he died on the cross. He didn't have to die on the cross. He chose to give his life on the cross and he paid the penalty for my unrighteousness, my vile, filthy sin. It doesn't all seem vile and filthy, but because God's perfect, any sin is vile and filthy to God. And rather than cast me aside and kick me to the curb, he gave his life on the cross for me. That's so much better than what we're talking about with Star Wars. I'm fine to talk about Star Wars. I'm telling you, like I'm at the drive-thru. We got 30 seconds. 
Jesus is life. It was an evangelistic exhortation to call to the world, to this man at the drive-thru working a job faithfully, to call on God for salvation. How do we call upon his name? Well, through prayer. We call upon God's name through prayer. And you will say in that day, now remember, this is before Jesus comes on the scene. So he's saying to uh, a, people, uh, a people bound in a specific time to a future day that is coming. He's saying in that day. Now that word in that day often refers to judgment. It's often uh, in that day judgment will come. In this way, and I'm sorry, in this particular text, he's saying in that day, in a positive way, you will give thanks to the Lord and you will call upon his name through prayer. You will make known his deeds among the people. It's like talking about your team and the athlete that you love to support and what this coach did that was great. You will, you will make known his deeds. You will tell people what wonderful things God has done. And you proclaim, you will shout out or speak freely that his name is exalted. And in the last couple of verses here, sing praise to the Lord. That's what he's telling. He's what he's saying to God's people who will be saying that to other people that they will be sharing with. You see the third generation there, if you will. The prophet is telling God's people, I've trusted in the Lord. I'm singing a new song to the Lord. And you will say in that day in the future, you will say, make, make known his deeds to the people. So they will both make known his deeds and they will tell others to make known his deeds. Let, let this be made known in all the earth. There's not a boundary that, that blocks off where we get to tell of uh, God's wonderful praises. right? So we, we pray, we call on his name, we give glory to him. So what, what do we give praise to him for? Well, briefly, we pray, praise him because God's glorified himself. You see, when we love God, we realize we want him to be the, 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 one of the, the king of the hill. Right Now, he is the king of the hill, whether or not we acknowledge it. But when we love God, we want him to be the king of the hill. We want him to get all the glory. We want him to be the one that is praised above everybody else. And so we praise the fact that God's glorified himself. We praise him because he's done wonderful works. We see the word Zion here. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. Uh, the, the, the Israel was, was built on Mount Zion, and it was a... Um, it was a uh, you know, it would be sort of like just uh, whether you spoke about uh, Oak Grove Church or the church on the corner. Sort of a similar way of, of speaking about that. Alan Myers, a commentator, says, The Holy One of Israel is a phrase. It occurs 31 times in the Bible, and six of them are in Isaiah. So this, the holiness of the Lord, the holiness of, of, of Yahweh, as they would call him, sets him apart, or as God would call himself. It sets God apart from all of us sinful humans. The holiness of God is shown in the visible perfection of who he is, which we see in Jesus. Someone said, Jesus hanging on the cross and living the life that he did is his way of taking a selfie for us to know him. Jesus is, is God in the flesh. God with a belly button, I'll say sometimes. Shout and sing for joy. For great in your midst is this Holy One of Israel. And for all who trust in the Lord, he is in your midst bringing comfort. For those who don't trust in the Lord, 
He, he may be working in your life to bring you understanding, to, to help you see how much he is filled with love for you. Uh, enough that he would send his only begotten son so that whoever might believe in him will be saved and have everlasting life. And he may be making you aware of that out of love for you. You may be one that says, nope, I'll never believe it. I'm a pretty good person. I I try not to do harm to others. And I'm going to trust in myself. We don't usually say that last part. But our actions show that we're just trusting in ourselves. And in that day, what God brings won't be comfort. It'll be the really the penalty we do, the ticket, the ticket that we're due for our sin. I don't want to tell you this story. But I think I have to. Around Thanksgiving, we went to Oklahoma to visit my sister and we had a headlight out and we'd bought the headlight for and just hadn't gotten it put in yet. Well, actually, I tried at one point, but I, I couldn't get my hand and, you know, and grab it and push the button and pull. I just couldn't get it all. I just, it's just a little thicker than uh, needed to be to get in there. So I called one of my friends with a thinner arm and a longer arm to get it and he helped get it done. But anyway, on this trip, I got, I was going down there. Toward the end of the trip, you know what happens when you're driving on a trip like that, right? What do you do? You drive faster because you're just like, let's just get there. You don't even always realize you're doing it. And I got pulled over, right? And the officer came up, and he said, any reason you're going so fast? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to be done. He goes, yeah, okay. Do you realize that you uh, have a headlight that's out? I'm like, it's right here. And he laughed. Like, how many people just drive around with a headlight in their car? Here it is. Well, he went back to his car, and he came back up. And you know what he did? Let me ask a different question. You know what I deserved? A ticket. I was speeding. I deserved a ticket. And he came up, and he said, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm just going to give you a warning. I was like, thank you. I know I deserve it. Thank you. That's kind. He went back to his car. Well, of course, went down there, and I thought about changing that headlight when I was down there, and I forgot. So we're driving home. (laughs) Can I do this while I'm preaching? (laughs) Well, we're driving home, and I'm going through a construction zone. Guess what? I just love blue and red. Well, I got a ticket. No, wait, I got pulled over. So same story. I mean, they must have, like, called each other. I'm glad I was in different states so it didn't, like, register in the system just yet. <laughs> Any particular reason you're going so fast? Oh, yeah. I'm ready to be home. I said, I'm sorry. I just wasn't paying attention. We were off, off stopped for a bite, and got back on. I just, I just wasn't. Zoom back in to paying attention. Okay. Did you realize that you have a headlight out? So, funny story. 
And he left. He said, okay, I'll be back. He goes back to his car, comes back. He's back there for a while. I was like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> he comes back up. He said, I'm going to give you a warning. Thank you. Oh, no problem. I'm like, no, you, you don't know how I mean thank you. My kids are like, Dad. In, in discipline, when God allows and or brings hard circumstances into our life, he's like an officer who would be right to give us judgment, a ticket. Except instead of a ticket and a fine and points, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so rather than that, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you off with a warning. I'm going to bring judgment. Judgment's the warning. Difficulty in life is not always. Sometimes difficulty is just part of living in life. But sometimes diff, diff, uh, difficulty is God's specific way of saying, I'm giving you a warning because there will be a day when the warnings cease. No more warnings will come. You tell your kids, this is the last time. Or if maybe you've ever heard a, another preacher before and they say, in conclusion, in conclusion, in conclusion, God says, out of love, I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to bring discipline, hardness, hard, uh, difficulty, hard circumstances into your life to cause you to look away from the other things and yourself to me. Will you accept the message I'm bringing to you? Don't find salvation or what you think will be salvation in all of these other things, but find it in me. You may be a Christian who's striving to follow the Lord and you know there are some ways in your life when you're going against what God wants you to do. The Lord says, I'm judging you because I love you. But the penalty has been fully paid when Jesus Christ gave his life on Calvary. But I still want better for you, so I'm bringing judgment into your life. You may not be a child of God. You may not be a Christian, and God says, I'm judging you, I'm bringing conviction, I'm warning you, there will be a day when the warnings will stop. So while it's today, call on me for salvation. And not just, I will come, but I'm here to bring comfort. And to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And I don't know where you fall on that very small continuum of child of God or not a child of God. It's, it's an on and off switch in the sense that there are, there are two positions. There's no in the middle. If the Lord is, is beckoning you this morning, would you respond and say, yes, Lord, I, I cast off trusting myself in other devices, and I will look to you. 
like these who shared their testimony of the time when the Lord powerfully worked in their life and they came to trust in him. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper right now, which is another one of the ways that we worship God. I mentioned before the baptism, we worship in a variety of different ways. This is another way that we worship the Lord. And Paul said that uh, in the same way that 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 uh, Isaiah is telling the Israelites that they are going to proclaim his salvation, Jesus, or Paul tells us that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we also continue to proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection for salvation until he comes again. So we do this every every week here at Oak Grove. Nothing magical happens or mystical happens when we take the Lord's Supper. Nothing changes with the body and, and I'm sorry, with the bread and with the cup, but we drink it as a representation of what Jesus did by giving his physical life on the cross and um, his life draining from him in a real sense where he died. Just like this baptism, nothing happens mystically in the water, but it's a picture of what's happened. And so if you are one who trusts in Jesus as your salvation, we encourage you to come and share communion with us. If you're not sure if you're not a Christian, this is a good opportunity to hold off on on taking the Lord's Supper and asking God, God, where am I at with you? And he'll help you by helping you understand your own heart in that way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious ways that we get to celebrate uh, your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you saved a wretch like me. Lord, as we eat this bread and we drink this juice, I pray that it would be a reminder to all of us that because of Jesus' life on this earth and work on the cross, none of us get what we deserve. You got what you didn't deserve in order that we might get what we haven't earned. And that is life and peace through salvation. And so we worship you even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.